0: remember that it's really good for students to speak two languages and they will brag about it later on. They'll say, I'm the only one who can speak two languages in my home.
1: <laughs> one of the top reasons why people choose language immersion in Dare County schools from the parents was so that their children are more exposed to people from all over the world so that they can be global citizens. Like just cultural and global awareness was was the second reason. First was to learn the language. The second one was cultural and global awareness. Podcast PDNC.
2: Where it's not
3: sit and get, it's listen and launch.
2: Yeah, we're here. So I am very excited to have this conversation today and get in a little deeper on the dual language program in Dare County Schools, where I was a librarian of a school where we had kinder and first grade the first time it was introduced. And then it was introduced in all of the elementary schools, thanks to uh, Hannah Parker, who's here to talk a little bit about the background of it. And then we're going to roll with some good questions about how this has worked not just in person but also remote. Go for it Joe.
1: I'm Johanna Parker. People who know me well call me Joe. Um, I'm the innovation director in Deer County Schools which means I do a lot of different things. One of those things is coordinating the dual language immersion program we are the only district in the state of North Carolina that has dual language immersion, Spanish dual language immersion, as an option for every learner. So when children enter our district in kindergarten, they can, their parents can choose. Do they want them to be biliterate and bilingual? Right now, our oldest cohort of students are in third grade. They're heading to fourth grade next year. Within the next few years, about half of the students in our district will be biliterate and bilingual, which is really cool and not something that a lot of places can say. One of the reasons that we went went down this road was because it was what the community wanted. Dr. John Farley, our superintendent, came to DARE in 2017 and did like a listening tour, Uh, did community meetings. He did like almost 80 of them, like over a year and a half time span, and really just asked the community, like, what do you want? Language immersion was up at the top of the list. He'd had experience uh, working in counties before that had it. I came in 2018. Yeah, June. That's crazy. We started programs in four elementary schools. We started K-1 cohorts. And then we added our fifth elementary school the following year, and that's where Zo is from, who's going to talk in just a minute. There's a lot of reasons why language immersion is amazing. In Dare County Schools, our mission is to empower every student to be an innovative problem solver and engaged global citizen. One of the best ways to be a global citizen is to be a citizen of the world and have proficiency in more than one language. The United States is really one of the only developed nations where learning another a second language isn't a normal part of primary instruction most european nations central south america that's just how it is and in the us it's not really what we're doing in the beginning it seemed really crazy to a lot of people they were like what they're going to learn in spanish all day how are they going to learn english like they just could not it was it was a hard it was hard for them to understand but after seeing just the kids flourish, now we don't have to worry about filling those spots every year.
0: Hola, hola a todos. Yo me llamo Sochil Romero. Soy de Honduras y tengo el placer de compartir en la escuela First Flight en el condado de Deer. Estoy muy feliz de estar aquí con ustedes. Hi everyone. Uh, this is Social Romero. I'm from Honduras and I work for Deer County Schools at First Flight Elementary. I'm really happy to be here joining you and talking about what it's like to be in an immersion program and what it's like to be a teacher in an immersion program.
2: So the first thing I'm going to ask you is I can see your beautiful name but I believe that we need to learn how to say each other's names correctly so can you talk about I'm sure you get asked this a lot too so can you talk a little bit about your name and uh, the importance of pronouncing it and I'm doing this on purpose not only because I want to know but I think it's really important for
0: other. yeah it is really important because it makes feel comfortable right Mm -hmm. Uh, my name is a Mexican name I'm Honduran but I don't know why my grandma gave me that name uh, in my name you pronounce the letter x as an s so it's so chill so chill, it's so chill. Hard. yeah it's really hard to pronounce but once you once you learn it you'll never forget it yes very cool and like i was always the girl with the weird name at the university at the school everywhere so they always knew when there was a social it was me <laughs> i love it but it's hard to live with a weird name it's really hard because people can't pronounce it can't write it not even read it so it's hard it's that easy so please give them normal names
2: to your kids I think it is just important that people take the time to learn their students names you know mm-hmm. learn their colleagues names and call it call them the correct name so even though it can feel a little uncomfortable to ask I would much rather ask and say it correctly than call somebody by the wrong name for like a whole year or something
0: Yes, I faced it last year because it was my first year working with American people, like Americans, not uh, people from Honduras that were learning English because I used to be an English teacher back in Honduras. So now it's all the way around. I'm teaching Spanish to English speakers. So it's different. And at the beginning, I remember that there was this last name who was really, really hard for me to pronounce. And the little girl was like, is this teacher? (laughs) I was like, okay, <laughs> but those are really fun memories. Now this is my second year with this same group, and I know them so well that I, when I mispronounce their names, I just do it just for for bothering them, and they start laughing, and they're like, it's not like that. It's no es así, señora Romero. It's so funny to do it.
4: So, señora Romero, ¿hace cuánto tiempo que está usted en los Estados Unidos enseñando inglés? For how long have you been in the United States teaching English? Sorry, I had to throw my skills out there for just a second. I think you should
2: do it every time, Chris. I love it. Sí, muy bueno, Chris. Me gusta que hables español.
0: Eh, tengo un año y medio de estar aquí en los Estados Unidos. En español ha sido un gran reto por el choque cultural. Que es, uh, sorry, now English. Change. <laughs> I've been here for a year and a half, almost two years in August. It's been a really, really great challenge for me because of the cultural change and the shock at the beginning. And um, I have to learn a lot. Like, like forget what I've learned in my country and learn something new. And uh, I've been enjoying that because I love to learn. Plus, you use a lot of technology, and I love technology. So it's Well, been- I guess
4: that, that learning and relearning has probably done you Some good actually giving you an advantage over probably a lot of your colleagues, especially in the last year where we're all relearning how to do what it is we're trying to do. So,
0: Yeah, it is good. It is good. And now changing, well, when the pandemic hit us and we have to change to virtual, it was a whole new world for everyone. I was happy to do it. As I tell you, I love technology and I make my students feel comfortable. Yes we started since day one to have virtual meetings. So it was really cool. We just meet we just met for an hour daily. But it was so fun. It was so fun. Like we could take really good experience from that.
2: So I know we're gonna dig in a little bit more about these changeover from the way that you were doing dual language immersion in school to remote. So we're going to talk about that. But one question I had just for clarification is you talked about being with the same kids the second year. So did you start in kindergarten and then move up with the same kids to first grade?
0: Yes, I was in, I was late teacher in kindergarten. I was working with Alicia Rosas and then they moved me to first grade. So I'm here right now. So I'm learning something new, more things to learn. And, um, at least I get the chance to be with my same group, and I they really love them. I really enjoy their company, and they're really funny.
2: We've really spent great times together. So, yeah, I keep on growing with them. Probably fun, like you said, to keep learning, learning something new and new curriculum and everything, plus mm-hmm. online. So dual language program is you mostly are speaking I believe I'm saying this correctly. It might be different at First Fight Elementary than it was at Manio, but is there like a majority Spanish classroom and then a speaking English classroom? Or do you do it that way? Or do you have no. it like, part time? Okay. So here's where I'll set this up for people that are listening. When I was at Manio Elementary, we had a full class with two English speaking teachers so, then they had a class next door that was fully immersed in Spanish speaking. And the, the kids are a mix. You have some native Spanish speakers and you have some native English speakers. And those classes were mixed. However, they went back and forth from one class to another. So, that was the experience that I had working with these kiddos. But I would like to hear you talk a little bit. I'm sure I know Joe wants to ch- chime in too and probably explain why there's a difference from one school to the next.
1: Okay, I can explain the models and why they're different. There's. 50/50 models, which is what Manual Elementary is, and Cape Hatteras is also 50/50 down in on Hatteras Island, and then Nags Head Elementary, right next door to where I am right now, is also 50/50. So the kids' their language allocation is split in half. So they do half of their half of their instructional time is in English, and the other half is in Spanish. But they cover the same curriculum. So whether that is an English-speaking teacher teaching in English, and then a Spanish-speaking teacher teaching, usually in the classroom next door, in Spanish, and then two groups of students move. That's one way. Another way is there is one teacher that teaches fully bilingually. So that means the teacher switches languages, and it's with one class of students. So we have all of those in Deer County Schools. (laughs) All of those things we have. We have bilingual third-grade teachers that teach half in English, half in Spanish, kids that move the way that we decide that is based on the community and then the language, the home languages of the children that are going to be in the class and home languages in that community. So um, in Manio, Cape Hatteras, and then at Nags Head, there's a higher percentage of students that are native Spanish speakers and their home language is Spanish. So that's higher. So they actually, a lot of times when they come in in kindergarten, they are they're like experts. They're like, whoa, they don't know how to read or write yet in Spanish. Just like in kindergarten, a lot of English speaking kids don't know how to read or write yet in English, but then they get the benefit of both. And that contributes to higher levels of proficiency in like reading on grade level and all of those things for Spanish speaking kids. And that's a big change. So kids that would traditionally in an ESL setting, in a second language setting, they would be pulled out. They're not always pulled out if they're an immersion. Because they're getting, they're getting both. They may get like extra interventions. Like right now we have ESL teachers that teach virtually with the English teacher, which is really cool. Then on the flip side of that, we have where Schultz is at First Flight Elementary and then Kitty Hawk Elementary and Kitty Hawk. Those programs are 90-10 programs. So it's 90% Spanish and 10% English. And the 10% English is just like art and PE and their specials time—that's what is in English. Everything else is in Spanish, and that's because students in their classes and in students in socials class are primarily English speakers at home. So they have to get—they have to have a basis in the language. And the fastest way to learn is to be fully immersed. So they're fully immersed in K one in Spanish, and then in second grade they start to get some supplemental English. They do a reading group in English, and then in third grade it's 50-50 district-wide. So everybody goes to get more English starting in, in third. And part of that is because of testing requirements.
2: Perfect. That helps explain a lot and said way better than, you know, this is why we have you here, Joe, um, in so many ways. Then I guess what, what would be wonderful for us to hear a little bit about is this idea so you know you what we just heard from Joe is that you speak in, mostly in Spanish right you're teaching mostly in Spanish in your first grade classroom. That means science curriculum social studies curriculum everything. <laughs> so can you talk a little bit about what that was like last year and, and as a in-school teacher and then we'll talk a little bit about how that translated to the remote world first day of class last
0: year. I remember that we dressed up like a Hawaiian girls and we got microphones and everything. So we were so dressed up. Our classroom was decorated and they came in and we started speaking Spanish, like full Spanish. And they were like, why is going on with this? It was so funny looking at their faces. But then as we as the days like went on and we started speaking more Spanish and we used a lot of TPR, which is movement. And uh, we were using a lot of aids, like images and videos and everything. So they start catching up the language. Uh, We have, by December, several students who could express some sentences in Spanish. Or when I was doing a reading aloud in the morning, so I was asking them, what do you think is going to happen? Everything, all the predictions were said said in Spanish. So I wrote on the board whatever that said. So they were looking at at the words and they were like catching more language. And then with the transition to virtual, it was it was different. But we got to have like the same experience. I was just speaking only Spanish. And now I can tell that my parents, they do speak Spanish as well. <laughs> my students' parents, they do speak. Like whenever they jump in, they're like, Señora Romero, no entiendo esto. I don't understand. <laughs> Or, Señor Romero, ¿puedes repetirlo? And it's funny, but they're getting the language. And when we switch back on on fall to schools, parents were telling me, oh, I'm not going to learn more Spanish, or you're not going to be there teaching us as well. (laughs) It was so funny. But the transition for us, as the school was great. um, Alicia and I uh, were doing a great job during, during kindergarten year. So we uh, split responsibilities totally. And we were giving students everything we could, like everything to make it fun because they were five and six years old. They were, they were little kids. Imagine spend an hour continuously in a computer when the pandemic started. But we got to well, make it work. It, it was fun. It was entertaining. We got them engaged. And uh, parents were really thankful for all that we were doing. And now if I compare last year to this year, it's been totally different now. They have more structure. They have more responsibilities. They have more lessons. It's not just an hour. And they have we have the chance to have small groups. I got the chance to have two co-teachers, which is really good. So one is teaching word study. I'm teaching gathering. The other one is teaching math. So students are going around. They're, they're listening to, diff, to three different Spanish versions or accents. And even though the three of us are from the same country, we speak differently. So students are getting that, and that's really good. And as I tell you, I speak too fast in Spanish, <laughs> and the other teacher who just came, they, she does that too. <laughs> so students are getting the language in a different way, and we're really happy about it. Like we're really happy with this translation. Like we're really enjoying virtual, but we want to go back face to face.
4: So it's interesting what you're saying, Senor Romero, because. As I taught high school Spanish, okay? Mm -hmm. And I taught high school Spanish in districts where elementary Spanish was not a thing. So what you're talking about going in, speaking Spanish completely on the first day, I used to especially do that everything past Spanish one. Think about the faces you were getting on the little kids and I was getting them on the bigger kids, but I was probably getting a little more kickback than you were because they weren't used to it. I think it's awesome that they get to start with that so young. I do have one question is are you guys doing anything with like so the curriculum you're teaching is the regular elementary curriculum. You're not doing Spanish grammar and those kind of things. Are you saving that for middle school or secondary school, those kind of things? So I guess what I'm saying is is I don't want all the, all my Spanish teachers out there The secondary Spanish teachers freak out and think they're not going to have a job because I think this is awesome. We do this in Wilson County, too. I'm just curious because one of the things that I found was my native Spanish speakers. A lot of times in my class, you know, everybody thought they had it so easy because they were in Spanish class. But I would constantly be explaining just because they speak a version of Spanish, just because somebody speaks a version of Spanish. And you touched on that doesn't mean that we're talking about the formal language first of all, number one, and number two, that we know all the grammar rules. And I would throw examples at them from English as well. Things like, you know, well, explain the subjunctive to me, or let's talk about the difference between the present tense and the present progressive tense or something. And, and that usually squashed it. But I really feel like I'm excited because I feel like when these younger kids get to that level, all of them, the native Spanish speakers and, and the children who are learning now are going to be, it's going to be astronomical what, they're going to be able to do.
0: What they're going to able to do now, it's really amazing because some of them like really can handle a conversation with you, even with their, with their baby words in Spanish, but they, they, they can do that. So it's really cool. I do teach some part of the grammar in Spanish because it's required according to curriculum. And there are some rules that are similar to English because when I was learning English, I just remember that I, do, I did understand the rules better in English than in Spanish. But I remember more of the grammar rules in, in English than in Spanish. But if I translate them, they're the same. The, I guess that the only difference is in conjugation. Like the hardest difference that I've noticed, conjugation, verbs conjugation. Because <laughs> we have three types of verb ending in R, E, and E. And you just have a, like the irregular, and regular, and we have thousand more. <laughs> I do teach grammar, not like, please conjugate this verb in a, in a fun way, like singing and, but we do that. And we use the North Carolina curriculum standards. We have a specific pacing guide made by the teachers and with the, with our leader, Joe, did I answer your question?
4: Oh yeah. A hundred percent. It just hit me when you were talking about how the kids with your co-teachers are getting to hear a different version of Spanish. And I just really think that people who aren't language studiers don't understand that that's important. I would have to explain a lot of times that, you know, yes, there's Spanish speaking in 21 countries in the world. Right. But it's not all the same. Just like English is not all the same. If you're in North Carolina versus New York versus California versus Australia versus Britain. I mean, you're talking about a whole lot of different kinds of English, right? The language nerd in me is just very excited about that. So I got off track.
3: Chris, I love that you pointed out. That whole thing about there's a whole lot of, uh, there, are, there are a lot of different um, styles or kinds of English being spoken. As a former Pittsburgher, when we moved to North Carolina, we definitely encountered a difference. People who could tell the minute I opened my mouth that I was not from here. Can you share anything that just kind of either was sweet or funny or, you know, it was a really good lesson going forward? When Last year, um,
0: Alicia, my co-teacher, She's from Ecuador, so it's a huge difference with, <laughs> with my Spanish country. So we were in normal class, so we were talking about the weather. Because in my country, we never get to be this cold. Never. We, we have tropical weather, so it's always hot. So we were talking about the weather that it was cold. It was around November or December. So it was pretty cold for me. I was like, oh, my God, this is so cold. This weather is so cold. And so she say, achachay. And I was like, what is that? <laughs> I was like, what is that? And she was like, achachay. And I was like, frio. And she was like, yes. Oh, are you cold? But she was like, achachay. And everybody was repeating the same thing. And they understood that achachai means frio in her country. But for us, it's frio, cold, frio. It was a fun word. It was just a short lesson. (laughs) It was hilarious. I can remember that perfectly. And I believe that students, they do remember that. They miss her. They get the chance to have her in videos someday so they could hear her Spanish. It's different. The accent and intonation and everything.
3: One of the things as soon as you were saying that is I bet that the kids remember that. And it's similar in you know middle school science. It was always those sort of quirky things the kids would remember versus you know the official lesson plan for how you're going to learn something.
1: I want social to talk about how you guys dressed up in virtual learning for everyone to hear about that. And then talk about how you guys plan because they plan very differently than I think probably what. A lot of people do. So social says she has two co-teachers. That's because her and kindergarten, they share people in the instead of it being you're just with kindergarten, you're just with first grade, they've divided up with who's talented at what, and that's how they teach. So I th- think she should talk about that a little bit.
0: Oh yeah. So last year since well, last year and this year, because I just did it in the morning, we have a Spanish Day celebration, which is on April the twenty third. And we were highlighting the most famous writers in Spanish. I was Don Quixote de la Mancha, and Alicia was Frida Kahlo. So we dressed up, and I made my huge white stuff here. I made a mustache and a little bear here, <laughs> my chin. Senor Rosas made one eyebrow, and um, it was so funny when we turn on because we were talking and we had our cameras off. When we turn on the cameras, they were laughing a lot, and they were like. Why, teachers? What's going on? Who are you? And I was, I was changing my voice, trying to sound like a boy. I couldn't do it, but I was trying. <laughs> it was so funny, and they remember that. I just did it in the morning. We did it last week, celebrating hundred days of the school. Señora Rosas was hundred years older, and I was. I had my super fancy hundred days of a school teacher, and everyone has a teacher. I invited kindergarten to join first grade in a meeting. So it was a really crowd meeting, but everyone is was getting to know each other and building that bone. It was good. It was good. And now let me tell you about the co-teachers. As Joe said, we are privileged to have Senora Cortes and Senorita Vanegas. They are assigned to us. One is supposed to work with one of us, but it's, it is a great decision to have them like join both classes in the share with the same group of students so teachers get to know them and get to help them. Cause you know, two heads thinks better than one, right? I get the chance to have two more. So we think much better. And when we are planning, we're together at the same time in the Google Doc, So we're using the chat box and like, do you think that this is going to work? What do you think about this activity? Do you think that this going to work for this particular group or, or not? And so we're sharing ideas, what had worked for you, what have not worked, or you can use this strategy with this group or that strategy, strategy with the other group. So it's been like collecting ideas from one another. And at the end of the day, we're also sharing thoughts, not with, just with the teachers that work here, but with other teachers around the county. And that makes us grow, like grow a lot, because we learn from others' experiences and ideas that they might have. We share content as well. When, whatever activities that we have that we can share, we definitely do that. So everybody gets a chance to have different options to teach Spanish.
2: So the problem is that I have too many questions and we could probably do like a two hour episode on you and this program. A question that I have that based on that idea that you're working with other teachers in the DLI program But you're also impacting learning outside the DLI program within your school community and beyond. And again, as Joe told us, the DLI program is in all the elementary schools. So ideally, that's happening everywhere, right? Like one of my favorite things is that everybody's a language learner, whether they're learning Spanish or learning English. And so there's so many benefits that we can have to those kind of collaborations and lessons that we can learn from each other. So one of the things that I think is really fascinating about the teachers that we have teaching DLI in Dare County is that you have very diverse backgrounds, not only culturally where you come from, but also academically, like you mentioned teaching English in another country before coming here. I guess my question would be like, what do you wish people would would know, would hear both Dare County teachers and administrators, and then those outside Dare County that can better understand what kind of things that you and your colleagues do bring to your school community. So looking outside your classroom, what kind of impact do you feel that you and your fellow DLI teachers have on the Dare County schools community?
0: Good question. If I look outside my classroom and my school, I can tell that all the DLI teachers around the county they're really energetic, and they what they bring from their countries is their culture, but not just their culture of the particular country that they come from, the countries that they have around. We get to share with the students everything that we learned about others, about other countries, because when we just arrived to the U.S. with the program that we came from, we get the chance to meet people from Colombia, from Argentina, from Peru, from... China. So we got a week to share. And in that week, we share a lot with people from different countries. So what we have here, what we came and to do, how can I say this? We came to share and to see everyone as an equal, to teach them that we are all the same people and we have all the same opportunities and uh, that we have to take them. What else I could say that I can see a lot of leadership from my colleagues and they're willing to learn and they're willing to help, even in the little things which are translating. Sometimes they need us to translate and we're there. Everyone is there to help, even though people could say that's not part of your job, but if you can do it, why not? And we come to learn a lot from you because I can talk about my first grade team. They're very, very wonderful teachers. They have a lot of experience. And I have learned a lot from them. And even though they teach English, I can take some activities from the English part and, you know, make it my own, make it in Spanish. So that's what I've learned from my colleagues. They're really awesome teachers. So, yes, I love my school. I love my county. I'm happy to be in an island.
2: OBX. (laughs) I don't blame you at all. I love it, too. But I think it goes back to show, and I I hope, Joe, maybe you want to chime in, too, because I'm just going to say the thing. There's a lot of teachers in Dare County who were born and raised in Dare County. And while that is a wonderful thing for, for the community, there also is a challenge of being globally connected students, if that's part of our mission here, without having a global perspective from a teacher. So I think that's really powerful that you bring that in. I agree. I think that you're opening a lot of hearts and minds to what benefits there is to being a globally connected human, not just a globally connected student.
1: Making sure that our kids have a really global, diverse experience in school is really, really important to us at the county. Um, One of our core values is collective greatness, together we're better, and that extraordinary people. And when people are extraordinary, we're gonna pump them up and make sure that everyone just has an amazing experience. One of the things that came out when we first started the immersion program, one of my colleagues here, uh, Dr. Keith Parker, was working on his dissertation and it was all research around language immersion. And so he, what we, he used, of course, as one does when they do use, do a dissertation and they're doing research is he used opportunities that we already had happening within the county. So we had some community meetings that were just about immersion. So he had parents come and just sort reasons why they chose immersion for their child and sort it from like, most important to least important. And one of the top reasons why people choose language immersion in Dare County Schools from his research, from directly from the parents, was so that their children are more exposed to people from all over the world so that they can be global citizens. Like just cultural and global awareness was was the second reason. First was to learn the language. The second one was cultural and global awareness, which when we saw that, and that was really across the board, no matter which community, because we have pretty diverse communities out in Outer Banks, we're kind of spread out all over the place. That just kept coming through. And we were like, wow, we're doing something right, because that's what we thought. And then that's what data showed us.
3: So one of the things that I wanted to throw in here, because both of you guys have made me just feel this it's a quote that I love all the time but this discussion has really brought it up so I'm just going to read it it's from Jim Balvano to me there are three things everyone should do every day for one is laugh number two is think spend some time in thought number three you should have your emotions move you to tears if you laugh you think and you cry that's a heck of a day and I just want to thank you guys, because as you were talking, like literally, we started off laughing and enjoying a few stories. Definitely a lot to think about here. And as you were talking here towards the end, I'm like oh, holding my heart crying. So I just have loved this conversation. Thank you.
2: There needs to be more teachers like you that's just so passionate about not only language, because we know that's what DLI is, the, the core of it is, but you just have such a passion for learning. And I think our kids are benefiting from that, uh, the kids that you get to teach and then the kids that you get to reach through your collaborations, um, maybe not directly, but you have a big reach as well. So it's coming through very, very powerfully in this conversation. So I think we all are feeling that as we're listening to you talk about it.
4: I'm just in awe of it in general. Like I said, it's the I guess it's the language nerd in me, but also like you said, the passion and the fact that it's obvious that Senora Romero is, is having fun and enjoying what she's doing. And I think that there's no better way for the kids to learn and get that different perspective than from somebody who's been other places and who can bring other experiences and other cultural viewpoints in. I would have benefited a lot from having a teacher like you to you know sort of push me along the way so kudos to you and your courage for coming and doing this y si quiero como um, si quiero como se dice practicar mi español puedo llamarle
0: claro claro puedes llamarme o puedes unirte a nuestras clases oh, are...
4: es posible que es posible que pueda ir a tu clase por computadora si ¿sí? y, y hablar con tus estudiantes
0: si sí, solo tienes hasta el primero de marzo <laughs> <laughs> and then we're going back to
2: face-to-face or you're not going to have time anymore. <laughs> <laughs> if there was a district administrator, if there was a teacher that hears this that wants to advocate for this in their school or in their district, kind of what specific things would you say would be like your sales pitch to convince somebody?
1: So I answer this question pretty often. Uh, we... So Schultz talking about the letters coming into her Google Meets, it's because we've done more virtual tours than in-person tours, I think. (laughs) Like we've, during remote, we've had districts from all over coming and watching the teachers and kids, and it's been really cool. I would say that number one is the community has to want it. You have to make sure that when you implement a program like this, there's full support all around. Then I would also say great planning goes a long way. So make sure that you've planned it out every single way possible, staffing, budget, everything, plan it all out. We've got numbers on paper till 2026. Super important to maintain a program like this. Um, And then if people have questions, they can definitely reach out
0: remember that it's really good for students to speak two languages and they will brag about it later on. They'll say, I'm the only one who can speak two languages in my home (laughs) or something like that because my students do that.
1: One of our goals is for all the kids in language immersion to have the opportunity to get their translator certificate in high school so they'll be able to be a certified translator when they graduate.
2: That's a very, very challenging thing to do as somebody who studied language for many, many years and took translation classes at college.
4: Yeah, I I made the mind-blowing thing there because a lot of people have said to me, oh, well, you should consider translating. I'm like, no, I shouldn't. I'm good. That's fine. I don't. mm -mm."
2: (laughs) That just goes to show how amazing that is for the students to have that opportunity. So, And again, long-term goals. I know that's a big part of this program is it's not just a kindergarten first grade program. This is carrying them through 12th grade and beyond. So I think that's really powerful, again, testament to this program. So I thank you both very much for taking the time to talk about it with us because I'm very proud of the small little bit that I've got to experience myself as a librarian, but it's really, really cool to hear the impact that it's having the way that other districts are able to come and see how Dare County has pulled this off so beautifully. And I'm really excited to see where it goes next.
4: Thank you for inviting us. Thanks for being here. It was fun.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
3: At the end of every episode, we leave you with a launch, something that you can take away from the episode and put into practice. How can you cultivate global learning experiences in your classroom? Can you connect with other educators who are doing this right now? One idea is to check out the hashtag #GlobalEdChat or rethink underscore learning on Twitter where other educators around the world are connecting and sharing. We invite you to seek out a colleague to partner with to infuse some global ed into your teaching so that you can honor and celebrate the cultural influences your students are already bringing to the classroom.
2: Podcast
3: PDNC. It's not sit and get
4: It's Listen and Launch! Thanks for listening to Podcast PDNC. We'd love to feature your ideas and expertise on a future episode. To contribute and to find out more information, please check out our website at bit.ly forward slash podcastpdnc. That's bit.ly forward forward slash podcast pdnc podcast pdnc was written recorded and produced by the ncdpi digital teaching and learning innovative learning catalysts molly Holloman, stacy lovedall and chris bennick it is available through our website through anchor.fm and through spotify with more platforms to come soon the sound effects used in this episode were taken from the BBC Sound Effects Library, which can be found at bbcsfx.acropolis.org.uk. Thanks for joining us, and we do look forward to hearing from you. The discussion of these tools and resources is not an endorsement from the North Carolina Department of Public Instruction, Digital Teaching and Learning, or Stacey, Chris, and Molly.